Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same love, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right or die. We've got the same Welcome back to Forged in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Fireman Rob. Got another great interview with Jamie Whitmore. I did this one on In the Zone and uh, with uh, Endurance Zone. Amazing individual, top of the heap, mountain biker, triathlete. Everything. And then something happened. Hope you enjoyed the interview. All right. Welcome to In the Zone with Fireman Rob, brought to you by Endurance Zone. Uh, I have a great guest today. You will probably know her either from Xterra or from, you know, just winning some Olympic, Paralympic medals. You know, uh, the thing is, is that she, her accolades, um, pretty much take up my whole page, uh, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> Jamie Whitmore, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we got to see you on the Real Mothers of Triathlon because you are a real mother of triathlon as well as cycling now. Um, your resume is unbelievable. You actually are in the Xterra Hall of Fame. You were inducted in 2012, right? Yep. <laughs> and the reason being is that you won how many, it was six U.S. championship titles 2004 year the world champion now for those who don't know what Xterra is kind of give them an idea because it's not just a regular triathlon right it's it's like the best triathlon you can do <laughs> <laughs> I'm biased but uh it's where you we swim just like all the other triathlons but we mountain bike instead of being on a road bike and then we usually hit the trails so I mean, some of the courses we did were so gnarly, muddy or straight up a ski slope and then straight back down when it came to running. I mean, you name it, we've run through caves and so many just really cool places depending on where the race was. That's why it's better. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were, you were racing, what was what one of your most gnarly stories as far as I've seen some videos of, uh, of, of some of your uh, great disasters, <laughs> but what is one of your most gnarly stories? I, you know, I don't know. I feel like it depends on where I raced on the type of story. So I remember one time in Milwaukee, it was weird because we only had two races there. And one year it was like the swim got canceled and it became a full on duathlon. So you ran, you bite, you run. And that just doesn't happen much in that history. And then another year it was so cold in the water that people were getting pulled for hypothermia. But then in the run, people were getting pulled for heat strokes because of the humidity and the, um, like how hot it got. But the funniest part for me racing there, like I was just covered in mud, but I think it was on the second run. Some point I was, I was going through this like super muddy fest and my shoe got stuck in the mud. 
And I was probably only a mile into it. And, and like for a split second, I contemplated like, should I keep running without the shoe or should I go back and get it? And I I was behind in the race. So it was like, it mattered what I did. And so you're sitting there going, what do I do? And I was like, I still have way too far to go. I got to go get this thing out of the mud. And so like, I'm fighting the mud to get my racing flat out and like, it goes flying. I get it back on. And somehow I ended up like barely winning the race, but it was, I mean, it was just crazy. <laughs> now that, that really does not seem like a normal race. <laughs> now, and you were talking about like the mountain bike side of this. So like with normal triathlons, you see, you know, you'll have your power swimmers and then you'll have your good bikers. And then usually the runners will take over in the end. It doesn't seem that way with Xterra. It really seems like it challenges you at every single step. It really does. I mean, the swimmers will still very much like smoke the rest of us. And, I, and it's sad because I grew up swimming, but I didn't swim long enough, I guess. Six years doesn't count as a kid. But, um, and I, and, but it, it definitely, like if you can't mountain bike, at least when it comes to like true mountain bike courses like Richmond or um, – I'm trying to think big bear was another good one. Um, Tahoe was, was pretty decent. And I mean, of course, Maui's pretty challenging, but if in Keystone, Colorado, Ooh, that was one of my favorites. But if you, if you did not have mountain biking skills, like you, you, you would not fare well, but, but it still did come down to who had the best like bike run package versus like the swim and then the run or something like that. It, because that was just such a chunk of the race. And again, it wasn't always about who had the best engine. It was also who had the best skill when it came to running and biking. And, and then you talk about, you know, a lot of these people are like, oh, my tri bike, I get into my aero position. Now you talk about, I've been mountain biking out in California a few times. And what are some of the challenges that you could face in a mountain bike that you don't see on the normal road course? Oh, sand, uh, Tunnel Creek in Tahoe like the first 30 minutes or more, if you're slower, or tw- I would say 20 minutes is straight up tunnel Creek. And it's just nothing but sand. So you're just going, then you hit single track and there might be like hike a bike sections where you'll have boulders and rocks that some people can ride over. Some can't Keystone, Colorado and Richmond used to have bridges. Um, Alabama had, had like what was called like blood rock. And, and it was, I mean, it was gnarly. There's, I remember being on a cover of a magazine for me, like descending down to where like my, my butt and everything was way past my saddle. Cause it was almost like on the wheel because you're just going down. So such steepness, but you could have roots like Richmond and Alabama would always have what roots. And if it rained, they would be wet. Um, Maui was famous for their lava rock, which is like, it's like riding on marbles. It's just big giant marbles and little marbles because lava rock's so light that it flies everywhere. So, I mean, then you could, you have a much more um, likelihood of flatting. So then you have to like worry about that kind of stuff and what bike to ride. You know, are you going to ride a full suspension? Do you want to ride a hardtail? 29ers were starting to come out back then. So there's like tire selection. I won races solely on my tire selection because it was so muddy that my choice or like in, in, uh, Netherlands on the beach, I picked the better wheel choice because you ride somewhat on the beach, but then you have to go off 
out of the beach into what you call sand dunes. And so if you ran a tire that worked for the beach, it didn't work in the sand dunes. And if you ran one for the sand dunes, you would sink into the beach. So we like would custom make these tires and stuff. And so, I mean, there's just so much more that goes into the biking portion of it. Wow. That's unbelievable because now it's the bike pressure, tire pressure, did that affect every single race? hundred uh, percent. Like you, and I mean, it's funny too, because a lot of times Conrad Stoltz, who was like, he's like six, four, a hundred and probably 80 pounds. I'm like five, five and whatever 112 pounds but like he would run lower tire pressure than me like all the time and i'm like because i like i don't want a flat and sometimes no. that that matters right. but yeah like the more sandy races and stuff definitely much more uh lower tire pressure now with 29ers you can you can really go low <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and then on the road it was such an adjustment because on the road it's like pump it up pump it up <laughs> And so you'd stop and pump up your tires? No. <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, I was like, that's no. really slow then. <laughs> no, 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 no. I meant like on the road now, it's the quite the opposite. Like I oh, want yeah. more air because, because, you know, sometimes I'm like, Ooh, feels a little squishy. I probably have about 60 PSI in here. <laughs> I should probably give it some air. <laughs> I love it. No. <laughs> no. The mentality that you have to have to be able to do that because you can't really go into it getting expectations up. You can't like, can you pre-plan the course with your mind or is that really going to just make you fail at the end of the day? I I think the key is to always have multiple plans. And yeah, you, you have to go over scenarios like There'll be options sometimes when you're riding a course. Single track people in front of you can often cause cause you to like you know get get held up and things like that, and it can be very frustrating. So for me, I would always have a plan, knowing that I wasn't one of the best swimmers, and so there would be a lot of age group athletes because they all start at the same time um, that they would be in front of me, and I know I will be going into single track, and they will not like hold a candle to what I can do, and so. You have to plan all of these things and know, you know, when I exit the water, am I like two minutes down from say Melanie McQuaid, who was like one of my biggest rivals, because like that would be really bad. It's hard to make up two minutes on her in both the bike and the run, unless the run and the bike were super hilly. So always knowing like the strengths and weaknesses of your you know, like your competitors and then knowing there's going to be traffic and then kind of having a plan is is what would help me oftentimes get through the race. And then knowing like, okay, if someone's in my way on this line, I got to take the nasty one because that's my only way to pass. And so you have to look for those areas. I would say there was a lot more to the process of racing pre-racing. So we would go out, I'd go out maybe a week ahead and I'd pre-ride the course. And those are all the things that I would look for. Same within the run. Because there's a couple sections where, we'd have to run up a staircase or something and you're not passing anybody. So you have to know, like, if you see someone, you have got to attack before you get to a section to where you know you can't pass them. So sometimes, like, it's not necessarily about exerting yourself in this spot or that spot. It's like, I got to get there because I will ride faster than that person. So it's a lot of strategy that goes into it. You're always thinking. Now, you take this into account of, like, 
your mentality of, of competitive drive, your, your winning mentality, your I'm going to get over the lava rock or whatever it is that's uh, put in your way. And now in 2008, you get hit with um, sarcoma uh, and you're put into a different realm that you've never been into. How did that mentality from your racing and your sport actually help you to keep going and get past that? I think the many years of being an endurance athlete taught me to endure. So when the pain started and it got worse and I just kept having setback after setback, it was one of those, I was able to be so mentally strong through it all. And it doesn't mean I didn't have bad days or dark days, but they didn't last long um, because I, I, I knew that I could get through it and I would just push through. Um, so I always attribute like being an Xterra athlete totally saved me in, in my process and battle against cancer. And then, and then (laughs) being the competitive person that I am, it's like, this is where it gets really funny when I tell these stories, but I, I kid you not when I was in the hospital, you know, the biggest thing after like any surgery is they, they make you get out of bed and they make you walk. But after my first surgery, that's when I had realized I'd had a disability and nobody's really telling me. I just have physical therapists that are coming in. I'm noticing I can't feel my foot and it just kind of hangs there. And so I'm freaking out. And these physical therapists are like, you got to learn to walk. And then they're fitting me for like, like an ankle foot orthotic, which is like a brace that they tell me I'm going to have to wear for the rest of my life. And so all these things are going through. And it took me like a week just to figure out how to, how to walk, like how to take a step because my brain could not talk to my foot. But right away, like once I was able to get out of my room and like start truly walking, there's like all these other patients doing the same thing, right? But but they don't necessarily have a disability, but they're recovering from some sort of cancer surgery because our whole floor was all cancer patients. And like this, (laughs) this instinct to compete with these people just comes in and I'm like, dad, I got, I got to, I got to pass these people. And I'm telling you, I'm hooked up to like IVs up the yin yang and I'm like pushing a walker and I'm like, and they're walking normally, but I'm like, I got to beat them. And there was even, I'll never forget this guy in chains. Cause there was a, there was a prisoner and you could hear him coming. And so I was like, dad, he's coming. We can't let him pass me. And so, <laughs> and so I would legitimately have these races. And then when I went home, because I was in the hospital a lot, like, then I had a second surgery, same thing. Third surgery, same thing. Like I was always racing people. And when I was at home, my dad staying with him, he had this half mile like block that you could walk. And so I would have my walker and I got to know all the neighbors, but I would time myself. So it was all about, I think the first time it took me to walk a half mile is probably like over 30 minutes. And like, I was just hobbling along and super skinny and then, and then it was like, I got it down to like 16 minutes when I was doing it. And then it nice. was like, okay, now I'm going to do a mile. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all, Jamie. <laughs> I'm just glad that I you didn't push. To... <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't push anybody in the, in the hospital ward while you're going through thinking it's like an exterra race. <laughs> I know. I do often say, if only I could race those people now, I would smoke them all. Because I was like the youngest. I mean, I still walk with a limp, but I'm way faster now. <laughs> and that and that leads me to in 2010. So two years after you had cancer, uh, you started paracycling and you go to the UCI championships. Like, how did you make that such a quick transition to be able to do that? 
Well, it was actually 2011 that I started cycling because okay. 2010 I was having babies. I was having twins, uh, which which is what held me back even longer. So, <laughs> yeah, that was a total surprise, a total shock. I got pregnant during my third surgery. Lo and behold, then I pop out twins. And, and it was at that point that I had this conversation with God because I kept trying to get back on a bike. And I was like, fine, I'm not getting back on a bike until you want me to be on a bike. I'm done. I'm done trying. And then it was like a year later, I got back on the bike, started riding, word got out. I was invited to do um, Leadville, but there was no way I could be ready in, in three months after having three years off and, and now being disabled and not really having this timeline. So I did a few, a few Xterras. They, they invited me out. I did a few mountain bike races. But word really started to travel, and in 2012 was when I, the U.S. Uh, people, like coaches or whatever, started contacting me and saying, hey, come out and do this. And that was also the year that I had, I got into Leadville, and I was like, well, wait a minute, like, what do I do? So, <laughs> so I trained, but at that point, I was so late to the game for, for Paralympics, and that's kind of the issue. Like, had I been able to start maybe a year sooner, the story might have different been different I might have been in London but by the time I showed up there was only one slot left and you know I just hadn't had everything dialed in yet and it wasn't my time so but I did qualify for the team I went and did Leadville and so I believe to this day I'm still one of the first females with a with a disability to complete that and earn the smaller belt buckle because I did it in under 12 hours I think I was like 11 hours 42 minutes and 37 seconds well, or something it fits better I know, right? Yeah, the big one like, would need to be gaudy. Exactly. <laughs> See, mine's like legit. So, but it was hard earned and it was, it was a day that was like another, another one that like where my endurance came in. I remember towing the line. My longest ride prior to that since, since being disabled was 55 miles. So on a mountain bike and I was signing up to do a hundred, which is really 104. And I remember being on that line and I was in the last of the last group to go or second to the last group. And I remember thinking like, I'm going to do this. Like there's nothing that is going to stop me today from doing this. And literally the weather was perfect. It had rained the night before. So it was like packed down. But the hardest part was people would walk and walking was not an option for me because when I bike, I have a special brace that's super stiff. And so I have to drag my leg up a hill or whatever I got to do. So I would be yelling at people like, get off the trail. I can't walk. I can't walk. And I come riding along. And then it would get to a point where like everybody's walking because it's just a gnarly terrain. So I'm there pushing and people kind of look over and realize like this chick's got a disability. And they're like, holy crap. They're like, you got grit. <laughs> and then I smoked them all on the downhill. <laughs> You have no competitive drive, Jamie. No, not at all. Oh, it felt really good to like pass tandems in the end. Like there was like miles and miles to go and they had like four good legs. And I'm here like, man, I got one in like a quarter and I'm going to smoke you. So. <laughs> and then, and then you go on in, in 2016 and you get a gold medal in the road race and you get a silver medal in the three K pursuit. So you right. didn't, go to London, but then you made up for it in 2016. How did that feel to be able to get a gold? 
Man, it was incredible. It was such a long process. Like in Xterra, you race every year and you have world championships because it's not in, in the Olympics. And, and I did want to go to the Olympics and I wanted to try in mountain biking, but I just never got the chance because the money was in Xterra and my passion was in Xterra. So, um, so to, to then be on this like mission to like, I'm going to go to Rio and I don't want to just go to Rio, but I really want to medal. And the way that it was looking, I had odds of uh, the odds of doing really well early on. And then like everybody else started upping their game. So, and this is exactly what happened in Xterra. Like you entered in and it was like, Melanie and I were smoking everyone. And by the time I was like, le you know, forced to leave, <laughs> you know, the game had just been elevated. Yeah. So, so I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and literally the odds like I was trying to think that silver medal, like I'm so proud of that silver medal because it was hard fought. There's like one second would separate second place all the way to like fifth. So there were five of us because first place was a bit out, out of, out of the game from us, but there were five of us that no joke, like to make it into that gold medal round, it could have been any of us, like any of us bad, whoever had the best start and executed the most perfect race was going to go. And so when, when we found out that it was me, it was like, are you freaking kidding me? Because a, no matter what I do, I get a medal. <laughs> like I could fall out of its gate and I'm getting a medal. So there was that excitement. And then there was the excitement of like, just go out and have the best race of my life. Like this, this, you know, my competition, she's so fast, but you know, I can still do this. And she ended up catching me six laps in, but you know, I had, I had the race of my life for six laps and I got a silver medal. And then, and then I didn't do as well in the TT. That was, that was a bit hard because that was like more my race, but there's this whole factoring system. Cause we race against lower categories and it ended up, like I was the third, um, like person in my category, but when you put the people below us, their time, like they get a time handicap and it goes in. So I ended up like seventh or eighth. So I, you know, I was bummed, but I had a good race. And then, and then I had one last opportunity in that road race. And it was like, I'm not leaving. Like I, I have to get gold. Like I have worked so hard and I've had such setbacks. Like I've got to figure out how to get gold. And the problem with trying to figure out how to get gold on a course that does not suit you is like, well, how do I do this? Because it was so flat and so windy and there was maybe two hills going one way and then the two hills coming backwards and that was all the technical to it. So everybody just stayed together. Nobody could break anybody. And so then, and this is one of the races where I had like three plans because the key was I did not want to go to the finish line with any sprinters or we're screwed. But I also could not attack on the hills because we still had two kilometers into a headwind. So it had been raining and that made people a little timid. But I just remember going into the last set of hills and the girl from China, the girl from Germany and myself just attacked hard. Like we were attacking so hard. I'm pretty sure all of us wanted to throw up. But we were able to gap the rest of the field some. And when we went into the last descent, I took the lead, went into this turn hard, which the other gals like slowed down a little because it was like, it had been wet and people had crashed there earlier. But for me, I was like all or nothing. Welcome to Xterra athletes. <laughs> I know, right? And that was totally where my mountain biking came in. So I gapped them. I like looked over my shoulder and I was like, sweet, I got a gap. But the only problem is it was straight headwind. And those two, if they worked together, were bigger than me. And I was like, oh, no. So I just tucked and I rode knowing they were going to catch me. 
they caught me. I tucked in behind them. And then we were going and I thought, wow, it's only the three of us. Okay, so no matter what, I'm walking away with the medal. There's always that like, you know, comfort right there that eases right. you. So, because if it had been four, it'd be a totally different story. Yep. But then I'm like, crap, I'm not a sprinter. Like, when do I sprint? I don't know when to sprint. And so in my head, as I'm sitting behind these two gals, the Chinese coach is like yelling at the Chinese gal in Chinese. And I'm like, you're probably telling her, get off the front. And we're just tucked in. And then all of a sudden, the gal from Germany goes off to the right. So I go to the left and we're all like parallel to each other. And then there's this sign that shows you it's 500 meters to the, to the finish line. And I'm thinking like, when do I sprint? It's still going through my head. Like, how do I know when to sprint? If I go too fat or too soon, I'm going to lose. If I go too late, I'm going to lose. And then I see the 200 meter sign. And I was like, that must be my sign. And I just stood up and went for it and like narrowly edged out the other two. Like it was crazy. Wow. That's <laughs> oh, That is a great story right there. Wow. That, I mean, Come on, that's you go from being a world champion in Xterra to you know, and and I didn't even mention the one of the coolest things in 2014. Um, you won an ESPY award for best female athlete with a disability. That's unbelievable. That that had to be pretty cool. Who who uh, gave you the award? You know, they so this is the kind of stinky thing for a lot of sports that aren't like your mainstream sports right. is that they mail it to you or they hand it so to the you post, afterwards. The, the postman gave you the award. Right. So you don't get to stand up. There. But it didn't matter because I got no. the hobnob with like all kinds of people. I got to like see so many sports um, stars and movie stars and stuff. And it was, it was a really cool experience when the ESPYs was still pretty cool. I heard it's not as nice anymore. But um, I walked the red carpet. I saw Rusty from vacation the member of uh, vegas vacation mr yeah. Papadopoulos or whatever <laughs> and i actually got to like talk with him while we were on like when we got towards the end of the red carpet i talked with shamar moore who's on swat now used to be on criminal minds um the guy from blindside the, the a couple guys from glee i mean it was just amazing mark um Hertzlitz, the other, oh, I can't say his last name, but he was for the New York Giants, and he also had a sarcoma and one of the first people that actually was able to save his leg and return to pro sports. He played for the New York Giants. He just recently retired. But it was, like, so cool to be able to talk to all different kinds of people that were hanging out at the ESPYs on the red carpet, and they all admired my tennis shoes because that's all I can wear. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, it, it just speaks to who you are as a person, like that competitive drive. You want to beat people in the hospital. You want to beat people on the course. Um, you know, is there uh, an Olympic bid for you next year? You know, I, I mean, I was on track to make you hoping to make the team this year. And I think this year off was, was good for me because I think mentally I was getting really drained and really tired of just the politics of the way the Paralympics and Olympics work. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that as, as an amateur or as a spectator, you don't realize until you're in it. And then, and then you realize it's, it's just, it's a lot of politics. It's a lot, it's very, it's much more mentally draining than it is physically. So I feel it's been really nice at my age and my long span of a career to have really had this time to be at home and just focus on training. Like I'm not taken off to go do this race or that race. Uh, I've just been here. I've just been training super low key and I'm excited to like show up next year and see all the gains that I've been able to make 
being in isolation. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we, we can't wait to see what you do next. It's, it's been such a great honor talking to you. Congratulations on everything you're doing. And thanks for inspiring us all. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, and, and we'll definitely be having you back because we know that you're going to go to the Olympics. So uh, we'll be having you back on and make sure to, we need to hear more stories from Jamie. That's for sure. awesome well thanks so much for joining us on in the zone with fireman rob brought to you by endurance zone we'll see you next week what an inspiring story and individual it's just such an honor to have her on the show thanks for joining us for this episode of forged in the fires with fireman rob we'll talk to you next time thanks for listening and supporting the forged in the fires podcast with fireman rob Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.